In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let let us go now to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. I don't know, it just seems so appropriate that an innkeeper should read this scripture about there being no room in the inn. There's plenty of room in your inn, right? Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Carolyn. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, this is a very familiar text to most in this room. Many could probably recite it word for word from memory. And that's a wonderful thing, Lord, that, that we would grow up with your story in our hearts. But it's also a problem. And the problem is it can become so familiar that we stop listening to your voice that might have something new to say to us today. So, Lord, we pray that you won't let the preacher's words get in the way of what you want to tell us. Help us to hear your words of wisdom and to live them. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, the night began as a pretty normal night for shepherds. They were out in the field, probably not in December, probably in the springtime sometime, but they were out in the field watching their flock by night. You could almost imagine that uh, several of them were sitting around a campfire and they were 
you know, sharing stories, um, singing songs, campfire songs. <clears throat> Maybe some of them actually sat down and started writing some songs, you know, like David perhaps did as, as a young shepherd. And then everything changed. I mean, everything changed. That's when the angel appeared. And the scriptures tell us in verse 9 of our scripture lesson this morning that, that the shepherds were terrified. Now, you know, we see paintings such as what we're depicting for you right now in our PowerPoint. Um, we see paintings of beautiful angels with flowing white robes and fluffy white wings but angels, really, if you read the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, they were terrifying beings. They were heavenly beings, often carrying swords. They were warriors for God. So if we could only imagine what these angels might have been for the shepherds, they were terrified, both because of what the angels may have looked like, but more importantly, it's not something you see every day. <laughs> and that's why, according to our scripture in verse 10, the very first words out of the angel's mouth was, do not be afraid. Just want to calm you down, boys. Don't be too scared. I've got some good news for you. And that's when things probably started changing within their hearts. At first they were scared. Now maybe, just maybe, they began to be hopeful because what the angel says in verse 10, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. So don't be afraid. I've got some good news for you. And it's not just for you, it's for all the people. It's for the world. Got some good news for you. And then the angel goes on to tell them what the good news is. Remember, these shepherds were probably Jewish shepherds. And so they had heard all about the Messiah from very young age. And so they were thinking one day the Messiah would come, but they probably didn't think it, the Messiah would come in their lifetime. And so the angel says, to you, to you is born this day a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Wow, if that didn't give them hope, I don't know what would. And then if that wasn't enough, it wasn't just one angel, all these angels, a whole chorus of, the scriptures say a multitude of angels appeared and they started singing their song, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors, verse 14. Wow, we got a choir going of angels. So what do they do? It, uh, scriptures tell us, say, they immediately, they took off to Bethlehem, to the little town of Bethlehem. They'd been out in the field. Now they're going to Bethlehem. They want to find out if what the angels were talking about is true. And lo and behold, if they don't end up where Mary and Joseph and the baby are residing, and they worship, and then they go off, it says, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Verse 20. Wow. It's party time for the shepherds. But you see, Mary's reaction is different. It's no party time for her. And I'm not just making this up. If you read the scriptures, you, you can see what happens. Remember, they've gone off glorifying, praising God. But Mary, 
Mary treasured all these words, the words that they had shared. Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Verse 19. They're having a party and they're all excited and hopeful and Mary is sitting there treasuring and pondering. <laughs> now the word that's, that's uh, used for treasure, the Greek word is syntereo, syntereo. And it quite literally means to keep. Hold on to something. Keep it. Preserve it. You know, Kind of bring it into yourself. She's treasuring the words. She's taking their words in and she's holding it close to her. And then she ponders these words in her heart. The word ponder comes from the Greek word sumbalo. Sumbalo. And it means to bring together, to bring things together. What, what she's doing is she's trying to bring all this, all this chatter from these shepherds together in her mind. She's bringing it in. She's, she's holding it close, preserving it, and she's bringing together all the thoughts that these words generate for her. She wasn't jumping up and down. She wasn't, hallelujah, it was not party time for her. So the question is why? Why not? Why didn't she hear what the shepherds heard? Why didn't she just jump up and go, hallelujah, the Messiah's come and I'm going to be its mama? Why didn't she do that? Now, we, we could, you know, we could make some assumptions. She's just, you know, she's just had a baby. She's gone through a lot of pain. Uh, she's gone through uh, labor and, and birth, and maybe she's just barely, you know, b- gasping for breath at this point. We don't know. And maybe she's kind of thinking about what it's going to be. She, you know, she's not had any children before. She's got to raise a child. That's, that can scare you enough. But there's another clue that's given to us later on in this chapter too that even though this has not at this moment happened to her, in retrospect we we see what's coming and when you think about what she's hearing from the shepherds and what she heard from the angel before that she's going to be the mother of the savior of the world Simeon's words really do begin to ring true. Now Simeon was a man that had been coming to the temple uh, on a regular basis looking for the coming of the Messiah. And he had gotten a message from God that before he died, he would actually be able to, to meet this Messiah. And so he was hopeful. He was expectant. Now, a lot of paintings and a lot of uh, writings about Simeon depict him as an, as an older man. And maybe he was, but the scriptures don't give us an age. So he could have been younger. But the point is that throughout his life, he's been waiting for the Messiah. And so he comes that day when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple for the time of purification. It's 40 days after the birth of a child. Uh, The mother must be purified, and the mother has to go to a place of worship, in this case, the the temple in Jerusalem, and they offer a sacrifice. And uh, the the sacrifice that's uh, that's really kind of expected is is a, a lamb, but uh, 
for the poor who could not sacrifice a lamb, they'd give either turtle doves or pigeons, and that's what Mary and Joseph offer at the temple. So th- clearly they are living out their Jewish faith in the way that, uh, that uh, good Jewish people would at that time, and they've come there for the purification of Mary, and at the same time they're dedicating their firstborn male child to the Lord, which was also in keeping with Jewish tradition at that time. So they had come there bringing, bringing Jesus, and Simeon is waiting, and he sees this child, and he knows this is the Messiah, and This is what he says to God. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is later in chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. So Simeon is reiterating what Mary has already heard from the shepherds and from uh, from the angel Gabriel that originally told her that she was going to have a child. Here the Messiah has come. This child that she labored with and that she gave birth to is going to save the world. Again, it might seem like that ought to be really exciting news to her. But then Simeon turns to her and says things that she was probably already thinking. He says to her in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 2, this child is destined for the falling, did you get that? For the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. Let me repeat that. This sign will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow. Those were hard words for her to hear. But like I said, she probably was already thinking about it because, you know, she she knew the world she was living in, She knew the world that she was bringing this child Jesus into. It was a world that was ruled by Rome with an iron fist. It was a world where her homeland was occupied by a foreign foreign nation. Ruled by a puppet king by the name of King Herod who was ruthless. Ruthless enough to kill to maintain power and wealth. Eventually, of course, you know the rest of the story where uh, they, uh, Mary and Joseph have to flee. They, they actually have to run away from Israel into Egypt. To, they become refugees because Herod is so paranoid that he begins killing off young children, thinking that indeed maybe this king of kings has arrived and is going to threaten him on the throne. And so he starts killing off all of the possible or potential threats to his power. That's the world in which Mary was bringing this child into to to grow up to be a threat to many, the falling of many, as well as the rising of others. 
And this, this Messiah, this child, was going to grow up with opposition. I mean, all of that. And, and her heart was going to be pierced like a sword would, parse, would pierce a, a person's very soul. It's Mary. Mary, the only person to be present at both the birth and the death of Jesus, who begins to put these two signs together. That's what she's brought together. That's what she's pondered. That's what she's treasuring. These two images of great hope and expectation and great trepidation and fear and pain and suffering. She puts together the idea of, of a wonderful little baby born and placed in a manger, one that you can caress, one that you can love, and, and one that would learn to love you in return over against a sword that's to pierce her heart, a pain that's to come eventually in her own life. She brings together the great joy and the great danger of a Savior. <clears throat> She treasures, she, she keeps to herself the good news of Jesus and she ponders the meaning of what that means because she can see both the cradle and the cross. She sees God's unconditional love and she sees the price that ultimately must be paid. Now, what does that mean for us? The painful truth is that's what life is like, isn't it? There can really, if you're really honest with yourself, there can never really be love without pain and sacrifice. Christmas has absolutely no meaning without Good Friday and Easter. If there had not been a Good Friday and Easter, we wouldn't even be singing any carols right now about Christmas. It would have been just another child born among poor people. You know, I, I often have to sit with people who are grieving the loss of, of a loved one, and I've, unfortunately, over the last year, I've, I've had to do that more often than I would, would have preferred. And I often tell people, and, you know, out of my own desire, I, I want so desperately to, to take your pain away. I really do. I, I want to I just extract it. And yet I say, but I would never think of doing it as much as I want to. Because you see, if I took away the pain, I would have to take away your love. Because that's where the pain came from. If you didn't care for someone, you wouldn't care if they lived or died. There would be no pain. Just be another number in the newspaper. But the more you love someone, the more it's going to hurt, the more you will feel the pain of that love. You see, joy and pain are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. That's just a, that's just the truth about life. C.S. Lewis, the British um, novelist and lay theologian, wrote a book called The Four Loves, and in it, he says this. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Wow. Isn't that the message of of the cross? Isn't that what gives meaning to the cradle? The cradle and the cross. The joy and the pain. It's what love is all about. Garth Brooks, uh, I think many of you know, is a country music singer. He wrote a, wrote a song about a love relationship. Um, he's not, he didn't write it about God or Christ, but, but he writes about love. And uh, this relationship that, he's, that, that he writes about in this song is one that is over. And he's feeling a lot of pain from that. Uh, but, but he wants to say in this song that the love he experienced was worth the pain. The song is called The Dance. Let's listen to it.
See, God sent his son Jesus into the world to show us how to dance the dance called life. And Jesus grew up to become the Lord of the dance for us. If you dance like Jesus, if you dance the dance of love, you might have to carry a cross. I hate to break the news. You can choose not to carry the cross. You can choose not to risk the pain. But then you'd have to miss the dance. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for our fear. We're just human. Nobody likes to hurt. But Lord, you, you have shown us with your own life among us that the pain of love is worth the cost. Amen.